Welcome back to Tell Them You Mean Business podcast. Today, I have a special guest with me who tells the criminals in our community that he means business. With us is Scott Abrams, president and treasurer for Crime Stoppers. Crime Stoppers is a nonprofit organization that encourages members of the community to step forward and assist law enforcement in the fight against crime. Find out more about this organization and how you can fight crime in our community in this exclusive interview. Also on this episode, listen to a case result reading about our client who received $480,000 after being injured by pipe that came loose at his workplace. Stay tuned for all of this and so much more here on this episode of Tell Them You Mean Business. Welcome back to the Tell Them You Mean Business podcast. And as I routinely say, I am extremely excited for my guest here today, Scott Abrams. And why am I so excited? Because the guests that we get on this podcast are doing amazing things and they're great people. So how can you not be excited about having someone like Scott here today? Scott is the Wisconsin State Crime Stoppers President and Treasurer. Scott, welcome to the podcast and thank you so much for being here today. Great to be here, Jason. Thanks so much. So tell our listeners how you got involved in Crime Stoppers. I know you've been involved for over 40 years. You don't look anywhere near old enough, and I know this is a podcast, so people aren't going to see it, but you don't look anywhere near old enough to be involved in this for 40 years, but tell us how you got involved. Well, that, that's kind and funny, but uh, yes, 40 years, uh, 1982, I started in Crime Stoppers, and I got involved because I became part of an organization's management team, a hospital system in Peoria, Illinois. And they said, well, you need, need to get involved in some community events. And I said, okay. And I had no idea what to get involved in. There was an article in the paper that says, new organization starting a Crime Stoppers program in Peoria, Illinois. And I thought, okay, well, that sounds good. I, I could get involved in that. And so I sent in my resume and an application form and, and, and sent it off. And I waited about a month and I, I didn't hear anything. And so another two, another month goes by, nothing. I started to give up on the idea. Well, maybe they had enough board members and they're going and they're doing well. After the fourth month, they finally called back. Five, fifth or sixth month, they called back. And they said, well, are you interested in joining Crime Stoppers? I said, well, yeah. Well, come to a board meeting. We'll see if there's a match. And so I went to the board meeting. And I'm thinking, got to be a well-oiled machine. They're up and running, going really well. <laughs> I got there. And the first thing they do is announce, well, we're going to pay some rewards this month for solved crimes that tips have come in on. And we have about $3,000 in rewards. However, we only have about $2,000 in their checking account. So they don't even have enough money at the initial Don't have to enough pay. money, and, and so they go around the table. They pass the hat, okay? Now, I haven't been approved as a board member yet, but I'm in for not like 50. Well, they didn't get enough the first time around, so they sent the head around the second time. <laughs> and now I'm in for like 100 bucks into the organization that I haven't even joined yet. That's and, funny. And, I, and, and I went to the president afterwards, and he was a vice president of communications at the local TV station. I said, uh, why did it take so long to call back? He said, well, I, we didn't know why you wanted to join. Uh, we didn't know what your ulterior motive was. We did a background check on your thing and, and, and a cre credit background. You just wanted to join. I said, well, that was the purpose. He says, no one in Peoria ever joins anything on a voluntary basis. That's funny. And so that's how I, I became involved. And less than a year later, I w was made president of that organization uh, to help lead that forward from that financial situation. And if we look back those that 40 years ago, it really wasn't a situation where there was 
some big crime event in Peoria or something had happened earlier in life that you were passionate about this kind of a thing. You just happened yeah. to see it in the newspaper yeah. and thought this is something I could maybe get involved in and make a difference. And then mm -hmm. who would have imagined that's 40 years have gone by and look at all you've done. So 40 years and, and 400 programs around the United States now almost. And th at that time, Crime Stoppers itself started in 1976. Uh, so it was still relatively new in 1982. When you st when you started with Crime Stoppers in Peoria, how many other Crime Stopper organizations were in the United States at, at that time? It, it's probably about a hundred or so. It really started in Texas and in New Mexico, and they had the biggest population of Crime Stopper programs at that time. Uh, but then it grew throughout the United States. They having started having conferences, and people okay. started learning more about it and how they could bring it to their community. And, and so that's what sort of spurned Crime Stoppers. Uh, I'll talk about the history if you want as well. I, I will in one sec, but I just want to ask one last question about Peoria. Was there something that happened in Peoria that caused people to say, hey, let's put together a Crime Stoppers? Do you know how it even started in the organization that you were in? It was a, a, a genesis of that uh, vice president of communications from that TV station uh, had heard about it. And he wanted to do something for the community. And so he heard other communities that were doing it. Uh, and so he brought it to, 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 the to the area. He had to talk with the police chief first of, of Peoria, uh, get his uh, agreement on it that we could move forward with this. And then putting the group of citizens together to form the organization. Because it's all citizen, community, volunteer board members that run these organizations. Okay. So let's now talk about the history of sure. Crime Stoppers. Sure. Why it got started, where it got started, and tell our listeners about that. Sure. I'd be glad to. It, it's a it's an interesting story. Uh, started in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, we call him now the father of Crime Stoppers, Greg McAleese. He was a detective. Uh, it was an uh, unfortunate incident where was a college student working at an all-night convenience store. Uh, somebody came in, robbed him, shot him, killed mm -hmm. him on, on, on site. Uh, got away and no clues, not at all. So Greg McAleese was the chief detective on that particular case. He came in and started doing the usual police work and asking the community uh, house to house, you know, did you see anything? Did you hear anything? And came up, came up nothing. After two or three weeks, I mean, he, they were right back where they started again. And they started talking about, well, what if we did a reenactment of that? And so they put a reenactment together with a TV crew, came in and, and, and recorded that. And then they thought about, well, how about if people just call in with their information? At that time, it wasn't anonymous. It was coming to the police department. So they set up a special phone number for that particular case. Okay. And so they put the reenactment together and within one hour of doing that reenactment on the news station, they got a phone call. But it wasn't about that case. It was about another homicide that someone had heard about and they said, well, how about this information for this homicide? They solved another homicide before oh they even boy. solved this one. But then several hours later, people started calling in. And as I understand it, uh, someone said, well, I was in that area. I saw a white car drive by really fast at that point in time. And the last three digits of the license plate number were XYZ, let's say. And, and then they started getting other calls that pieced it all together. And then eventually, they were able to go, go and find that car in front of an apartment building where those, those peop, the peop person that had perpetrated the crime had, uh, st was staying. And they solved that crime just based on that. And, and back when that started, uh, it wasn't really about the money then. It wasn't no, about no. giving money. How did then... Crime Stoppers yeah. change and then understand, hey, we need some anonymity yep. here. And because people are afraid, yep. uh, obviously, if someone commits a murder and somebody else knows about it, they may be afraid to put their name out Absolutely. there because they're afraid they could then get murdered. So then how does it develop from that into a situation yep. which is really it's it's I, a blessing. And as I think about Crime Stoppers and I 
uh, had the pleasure to be involved in a press conference with you yes. recently, and and it was just terrible. And you know, for me out there thinking that you actually have to give money to try to solve crimes, it, it's a blessing and a curse. Yes. I mean, it's sad that you have to do that, but then it's amazing that we can do that yeah. because then people have the anonymity and we're, you've solved. I mean, the number of yes. crimes that yes. Crime Stoppers has solved is over eight hundred thousand. We've, we've actually captured 812,000 bad guys. We've solved over 1.2 million crimes since 1976 through crime stops. I mean, that is wild. That, yeah. I mean, you should be so proud of responding to an ad in a newspaper and then to think what you've done in 40 years, is it's really inspiring to me. And again, that's why I'm, I get so excited about this <laughs> podcast because Without it, you wouldn't get the opportunity. Right. If I wouldn't have gone to that press conference and, and had the ability to meet you and spend a few minutes with you, and and I do want to give a shout-out to my partner, Mike Hupe, because he's actually the president he of uh, the Milwaukee branch of Crime Stoppers, and he himself personally has put up a lot of money uh, to help solve individual crimes with rewards, and I know the firm is a big sponsor of Crime Stoppers as well. But, I mean, it's it's just crazy what you have done. So I... I stop myself from letting you answer the question. That's okay. How did Crime Stoppers then go into this situation of understanding, hey, we need anonymity here, and with money we can help solve all these crimes? And Greg took that, uh, that whole uh, solving of that crime to the next level then. He thought of and worked with his department of how could we do a better job in our community in solving crimes with the community help. Really, if you want to think of it as sort of the start of the community policing activities that, that departments did. And so he developed this program in his mind and put it together and then started calling in other people to, to help him with this process. And so they developed the first one in Albuquerque, New Mexico with the Crime Stoppers name. Um, and then from, from there, it kind of spurred off. He, he developed that system, put some policies and procedures together, started as a nonprofit organization, raised funds to pay them the rewards that they thought were necessary to stimulate people's mind and interest uh, to solving crimes as well. Again, people doing their civic responsibility, uh, but maybe getting a reward for it as well, but keeping them anonymous. And that's that's the big part of it. He then later went to Texas. Texas has the the biggest uh, organized state ha has a number of organizations in it. Uh, they've got a state organization by far that outpaces any others other than Florida in the, in the United States as far as how they uh, cultivate and reward and grant funds to these Crime Stopper programs uh, through the state uh, process. Um, but that was the genesis was Albuquerque, New Mexico. So fast forward now to 2022, how many different Crime Stopper organizations are there in the United States? Based on the information we have, and they're not all members of, of the organization. I'm also past chairman of Crime Stoppers USA, the national organization that oversees about 400 Crime Stopper programs that we know about. Okay. Um, uh, but there's uh, when I go to the IRS publications and look at Crime Stoppers or Crime Solvers, there's a number of different names that they use. There's probably over 500 programs in the United States. Crazy. There's probably over 1,500. I'm also on the international board of directors for Crime Stoppers International. Uh, and they oversee about 1,500 different programs throughout wow. the world uh, that this is now uh, proliferated in that fashion. And how has your role changed over the last 40 years? Tell, oh, tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Uh, again, started locally, and uh, we wanted to be, just be the best program in, in Peoria, Illinois. And and we were uh, rated as one of the highest rated programs in the country at that time. Uh, but then I went on I became involved in state Crime Stoppers organizations, and again, what we do is we network, we communicate. We don't solve crimes at the state level, 
but we've helped the, uh, cultivate the, the programs that are coming in, starting uh, a new program, for example, and then how do they mature and how do they do the best job possible, giving them ideas. I now am an advisor for Crime Stoppers USA. I train nationally and internationally at a lot of our conferences in finance, uh, uh, organizational development, fundraising, strategic planning, uh, organizational development, all those activities. And I train those, those activities throughout the country now. It's come a long way from passing a hat at a board yeah, meeting. Yeah, it has. It certainly has. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts of what happens. Uh, guaranteeing anonymity. How do you guarantee to people that are involved uh, that call in the tips that ultimately solve the crimes and they get their award? Walk us through that process, sure. how their anonymity is guaranteed. And sure. because, you know, for you and I, we, we probably can't even imagine some of the stuff or you you probably can because of all the stuff you've you've learned while involved in Crime Stoppers. But, you know, if you're in the inner, in the inner cities where a lot of this really bad stuff is happening, you know, you and I don't have to worry about that on a day-to-day -day basis, that if we try to do what's right in our community, that we're worried that someone may come to our front door and shoot us for that. But that's a real worry for, for people that are in some of these uh, situations. So walk us through that process sure. and, and show us how Crime Stoppers obviously has done it well, been so successful, uh, and let us let, just let us in on your secrets. Sure. Well, you mentioned it earlier. There, there's the the fear of reprisal is, is probably the biggest biggest fear of all. People coming back to their house if uh, they shared information and, and they know who that you know police are going to come to your front door, they know what happened, uh, and so that's a big driver of, of fear. And we want to take that apathy out of out of the situation, and so that's why Crime Stoppers really works well. You talk about the guarantee of anonymity. We call it the promise of anonymity. Uh, we can't can't guarantee anything, but uh, we have state laws. Uh, that will, will help us keep tips anonymous. Uh, so we can't be called into court uh, to provide anonymous tip information. If we were, there's nothing on the tip information sheet that, that's going to help. Uh, someone called in about uh, someone that lives at 499 South Street, uh, and, and we think they're selling drugs or something. That's all they're going to find on a tip sheet. So there's nothing that can tie them to it. How else do we protect that anonymity? There's no caller ID in our phones. Uh, it's a separate phone line. It's not it's part of the police department's phone system. It's a separate phone line, and that's how we take those calls. We also have a call center helping us take those calls because some people, uh, as we know in our community, speak Spanish or they speak Hmong. Uh, we have a call center that, that's located in Houston, Texas, that has all those people that can answer those phone calls in different languages. Mm, so if they smart. call in and they start speaking in Spanish, we say just, they, they say, un momento, por favor, and then they'll get somebody that can speak Spanish to them right. and get that information, draw that information out. Uh, so that's that's one way we protect the anonymity as well. Um, we, if you leave a tip online, that's all scrubbed. There's there's no information. We're not going to have an IP address that we can identify who it is. Uh, it's all scrubbed. So by the time that information gets to us, the call center or us at the Crime Stoppers uh, program, that information just comes as here's X, Y, and Z. However, we have the ability to communicate back and forth with people. One, when they call into the Crime Stoppers number, they're giving a, a code number. We don't want your name. We just want your information. So that code number is your identifying number going back and forth. We may give you a code number XYZ. So next time you call and say, hey, I provided some information about a tip. My code number was XYZ. Is there any updates on that? And we may say, no, not yet. Call back in another week or so. 
or they may say, hey, it's solved the crime. Great. You're eligible for a $500 reward. When do you want to pick it up? And then we coordinate that again, paying that reward through the code number. And how does that work? So someone gives the tip that the person gets arrested, then they're convicted, they're entitled to their uh, reward, no matter what the dollar figure. How do they get their money? Okay, so I want to make one correction to your statement. Okay, I'm sorry. And 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 we only pay uh, the reward based on the arrest and charges. We don't wait for a conviction. Okay. Because sometimes the court system may say, oh, well, we'll do a plea bargain. Was that person really convicted? So that gets I a see. lot of gray issues. So I we apologize pay, for that. No, no, no. But that's a good thing because not everybody knows that. So it's based on a ro- uh, uh, arrest and charges. Okay. And and so then they're eligible for that reward. They'll call back, and then we have a secret process in which that is handled. Uh, so again, they give us that that code number, and then we'll we'll have them, give them a cash reward. No checks are involved. It's all cash rewards. Awesome. Um, any certain circumstance or case or something that sticks with you? Anything you were involved of in the last forty years? Uh, that something was solved or, or anything that sticks in your mind as kind of a game-changing event or something along those lines? Well, actually, uh, several come to mind. The, the first one that comes to mind is, again, came back from Peoria. And back when we were starting out, um, I participated in some of the reenactments uh, that we did for the TV stations. And uh, there was one particular case that was uh, very unfortunate. Uh, she had, uh, individual had just uh, bought a new condo. Uh, she'd moved into the condo. And a week later, someone came into the house uh, late at night. She didn't know and raped her in, in her condo. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, it was very unusual. There were several rapes taking place, but it was always with older female individuals at that time. And she was in her, her 20s. It didn't make sense. Um, so as we did the reenactment, we, we, we went through it and went through it. Um, we finally got some information. People did call in about it. But when we did the reenactment with her, very poised. She had not been in that condo since the, the incident had taken place. She told us exactly what happened so we could make it as realistic as possible. We fortunately were able to solve that crime. And it was the person that had uh, uh, taken other elderly ladies uh, and raped them. So it was a serial rapist. It was a serial rapist. And we got him off the street because of that. Uh, that was very unfortunate. But when I mentioned we're doing reenactments and you say what, what unusual has happened in that period of time. Again, I was very involved in the reenactments. And there was one case where it was down to housing projects. And there was a gas meter guy that had gone in and had been robbed uh, by gunpoint. Um, and so they asked me to do that reenactment. I was going to be the gun, gun uh, meter guy, uh, the gas meter guy. And I went into the uh, neighborhood and it was a last minute thing because the other actor had had fallen uh, fallen by the wayside. Says, and then the coordinator called me and says, "Could you fill in quickly?" Sure. So I went down to the project and and I met the other actor, a student that he had picked up at the college, and he was going to be the bad guy. And so we, without rehearsal or anything, we just went out and I went up to the door, knocked on the door, and and said, "Gas company." And all of a sudden, uh, okay, don't turn around. Uh, uh, give me your give me your wallet and and don't turn around. Wait for like two minutes. And I said, "Okay." So that was how we didn't do a rehearsal on this. And so then I waited and waited. I tro- pulled out my wallet, gave it to the guy, and all I hear was running away. Okay. And so I'm thinking the cameras must have stopped it. And I'm watching this guy, and he keeps running, and he goes around, down the block, and then he goes around the block, and he's gone. You were really wrapped? And, and I go, Jay, the coordinator, I said, what, do you know this kid? He says, no, I just picked him up at the college. And then like five minutes later, he came back. We said, where did you go? He says, well, I want to make it as realistic as possible. And I hadn't taken anything out of my wallet. He had my wallet, all my cash and credit cards in it. 
Thank God. I thought you were really robbed. I did. I didn't. We didn't know. Oh, that is so funny. Well, you should be so proud of everything you have done and the differences you have made throughout the whole United States in the last 40 years. It is so inspiring to think of over 800,000 people and all the great work that people at Crime Stoppers do. If someone wants to learn more about Crime Stoppers, wants to give a tip, wants to do anything related to Crime Stoppers, please tell us sure. how someone can learn more, give a tip, give all the information that uh, the listeners may want to know sure. uh, to, to learn more. Very good point. Um, we have a phone number. Again, that number is one 224 tips T-I-P-S, or 8477. Uh, that will connect you with our call center, and you can leave the information. We also have uh, to download a, the P3 apps, P3 tips app that we have. So it's P3 tips app. Just do a download on your on your smartphone for that, and you can leave information, videos, photos, if you're able to take them as well, and they can be pro processed right through that uh, tip application as well. We also have a, a brand new uh, feature, and this is across the country that I've helped implement through Crime Stoppers USA, just dial star star tips t-i-p-s anywhere in the country and what you'll do is you'll get someone on the phone and they'll say where what were you what do you want to call about and where are you calling from and mm -hmm. if you say even if you're in california i, I want to call about a tip in milwaukee say milwaukee and you'll be connected with the milwaukee crime stoppers that's amazing and provide your information that way well i also want to give a corporate appeal as i said earlier my partner mike Hupe is the president of the uh, milwaukee branch of crime stoppers he personally has given a lot of money. The firm is a big corporate sponsor. And I want to give this appeal to the other corporate citizens, not only in Milwaukee, but in all the other communities uh, that people may live in and say, if we want our communities to be safer, we want our communities to be better. It's incumbent on us to start and help the process. And, and I know we walk the walk and talk the talk. And I really want other uh, community people and businesses and leaders to step up and, and do something because, you know, by giving money to Crime Stoppers, we really have the opportunity to make our community safer. And you've proven that and we see it here every day. And, and that's to make a difference. Uh, you talk about that. Uh, Crime Stoppers does not operate on any tax, tax uh, revenues at all. It's all through grants, donations and sponsorships, such as Michael Hupe and Abraham uh, Abraham, Mike Hupe and Abraham have been very generous in those donations, and we would like to see other organizations and businesses step up as well. We pay, you mentioned Crime Stoppers USA, how many rewards have we paid out? We've paid out over $118 million in rewards. Wow. That's all through donations and sponsorships that, that those rewards are paid. The other surprising part about that statistic is only 30% of the people call back for a reward. The other 70% just wanted, like, say, anonymous, nobody to come to my house. They just want to do their civic responsibility and provide that information. So if you think about that, three times that amount is over $400 million, what we would have paid out in rewards if everybody had called back. People That's awesome. just want that, that outlet to provide that information yeah. to them. You know, right now we're seeing in the news all this bad information, bad facts about crime being up all over the country. And the bottom line is this is a way that we can all do our part and try to make our community safer. So uh, thank you for all you do, but I am not gonna let you go until we play a game. Believe it or not, we have started on this podcast uh -oh. a game, and uh, I'm gonna ask you a few questions about one of our 
practice areas and we're going to see how you do. It's a fun uh -oh. little end uh, uh, to the podcast. So today we are going to uh, talk about or ask you some questions about slip and falls and educate our listeners. Uh, and we're going to play three true or false questions and you'll have 60 seconds. It never takes that long to answer all three of the questions. So here we go. Question number one, true or false. Summer is considered the peak slip and fall season. False. That actually is true. I honestly, I thought it was false as well because you'd think it would we be live winter we live yeah, with the snow and ice and everything. But it actually is true because more people are out and Outside. about. And in the summer, they're falling from ladders, skateboarding, sports-related okay. things, being uh, out, on the out in water areas. So surprisingly, that answer is true. Okay, question number two. True or false, super, supermarkets, escalators, and sidewalks are three of the most common places that slip and fall accidents occur. True. You're right. That is true. And the last question, true or false, in a slip and fall case, the only evidence you can have is a video of the accident. No, that's false. You're right. I mean, obviously, you can have pictures, testimony of witnesses, and so forth. So, again, I just want to say... Uh, Thank you so much, Scott, for making our communities safer for all you do and have done for Crime Stoppers. It was an honor for me uh, to have you on the podcast and, and learn more about it. So thank you so much. And we're so appreciative of the work you and Michael do for, for Crime Stoppers as well. You came to the press conference and, and you helped us out. And, and thank you for all you do for the community. It's our pleasure. Case result reading. Our client was working as a spotter for someone stacking heavy metal pipes when a pipe came loose from a tool meant to keep it in place. The pipe bounced off the pile and into our client. As a result, our client suffered a fracture to the femur requiring surgery, a concussion, as well as, a, as, well as neck and back pain. After calling Hupe and Abraham, Attorney Todd Korb was able to settle this case, recovering $480,000. To view more cases like this, visit hupi.com under the results section. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Tell Them You Mean Business. We are looking forward to more amazing guests, events, and stories coming up this season. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode and share the Tell Them You Mean Business podcast with your family and friends. If you want more information about the topics covered on this podcast, visit hupi.com or email info at hupi.com. And remember, if you're injured in an accident, call Hupi and Abraham at 800-800-5678 to tell them you mean business.